Kia ora. welcome to Under the Checkered Flag, MotoGP edition. I'm your host Kate, and we're just going to jump right in. Today, we are going to be recapping my ratings for the MotoGP riders for the 2023 season. I am going to be doing it in reverse order, so basically, whoever finished lower down in the championship standings, I'm going to be starting with them. I also just want to say that these ratings may come across as harsh for some riders, but I respect all these riders immensely. There's no way that I could do what they do, and each and every one of these riders deserves to be on this grid. This year we've seen some of them plagued by injury, some of them make more mistakes, some of them ride hor horrific, more like bikes that want to just buck them off and kill them. Those are kind of factored into my ratings, but overall, looking at Joanne Mir, his rating's going to come across as really harsh. When we know he's world championship worthy, he deserves his championship and he still deserves to be on this grid. But yeah, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to only be doing full-time riders. This is just because I looked at how many riders we'd had on the grid this year and I think it was something like 29. That's a lot of riders. I know we've had a lot of injuries, but if I started putting in the wild cards and the replacements, given the season that Honda's had, we'd be here until Christmas. Admittedly, that's only a couple of weekends away. But let's get right into it. I've actually just brought the standings up. Not 29 riders on the grid this year. 31 classified riders on the grid. That's an insane amount. But we're gonna start in P23, and the person in P3, P23 is Paul Espargo. Our Gas Gas rider saw his season end a lot better than it started. I've given Paul a 5 out of 10. Now, the reasoning for this is partly because he had that horrific crash at the start of the year, and we can't understate how bad that crash was. He broke a bunch of stuff, from his jaw to his spine. He is now centimetres shorter than he used to be. That is an insane, insane injury. Given that, when he came back, he still managed to be fast. He was still quick, and he did pick up points, which is just incredible to me. To break yourself that badly, and then come back and still be on speed, really, really strong. I'm still going to give him a 5 out of 10 just because once he did get his groove back, he did have numerous crashes and numerous falls. This could be because he has lost his seat in MotoGP and the way he lost it wasn't particularly nice. But alas, I had to make a decision, so it's a 5 out of 10 for Polispargo. Moving on then to Joanne Mir. 3 out of 10. Harsh, maybe, especially with that Honda. But the reason I ranked him so low is not only because of his poor results, but mainly due to the fact that his teammate moved over from Suzuki with him and performed a lot stronger. So, a 3 out of 10 for Joanne Mir. Next up, we have Raul Fernandez. Now, this one actually quite surprised me. So, I've gone with a 5.5 out of 10. His season started off terribly like getting 
inconsistent, poor results. It did turn out that he was suffering from arm pump surgery. Um, suffering from arm pump surgery. Oh my gosh, you can tell it's a Sunday. I'm sorry. My brain's not fully engaged. He was suffering from a more complicated version of arm pump that involved multiple muscles. He did have the surgery. After the surgery, he took a little bit of time to get up to speed. But once he was on speed, he was up there battling with the factory riders on a year-old bike. I am really excited to see what Rawl and Ollie do next season. Now it does look like that Trackhouse Aprilia, their satellite team, will be having factory bikes. I'm really excited. And in fact, we could be seeing both of them. Both of them have the potential to be the number one Aprilia. But anyway... Rule Fernandez, 5.5 out of 10. So up next is none other than Alex Rins. Now, Rins, I think, is probably going to be the highest rated rider. 9 out of 10. Perhaps the biggest disappointment for me of this year was simultaneously Alex Rins. Not because of anything he did. But because he got injured and it sounds like his the bone in his leg basically shattered, which sat him out for the second part of the season. But considering how well and how quickly he adapted to that Honda, I'm really, really disappointed that we didn't get to see what else he could do on it. Because he did. A bike that was just rubbish. It was bucking riders off left, right and centre, injuring them, breaking all their bones... And he still manages to win at Kota. Truly, truly incredible. I am looking forward to seeing him on a Yamaha next year. And I do think, if I had to put money on it, I'd put money on Alex Rins being the first rider to win with three different manufacturers. I could see it easily happening. And so that's part of, also part of the reason I've given him a 9 out of 10. Just because of how quick he adapted, the fact he won a race on that bike... And also the fact that he, we saw that he wasn't being treated well by Honda, partly because he was on a satellite bike rather than the factory. And then he gets his win. You think it's going to be sensational and that, you know, it's going to loop back around and Honda's going to be a big happy family. But Honda still weren't listening to Rins. They still weren't doing things that he wanted to do with the bike development. So he's like, sweet, I've been offered a factory ride, I'm out. And so he's off to Yamaha. I gotta give mad props to him. That's like such a ballsy move. Good job. On the other end of the spectrum is gonna be Takanakagami. While frequently throughout the year Nakagami was the best performing Honda, I think it's clear to me and most likely many others that Nakagami's just running in safe mode. While I don't blame Nakagami at all, especially given the sheer number of injuries that we've seen these Honda riders collect, I want my racers to be racing. I want them to be battling and really performing strongly, or at least trying to. So we see that with Alex Rins, Joanne Mir, and Mark Marquez. They are pushing that bike to the limit to find out where that limit is. We're not seeing that with Takanakagami, and I find that really disappointing. So it is going to have to be a 3 out of 10. Moving on to the Rookie of the Year. Augusto Fernandez. He was definitely the rookie of the year. All the kidding aside, he was just the strongest rookie 
that is okay I'm done with that joke I'm sorry but basically he put in a really good performance for his first season he got really strong results he was consistent in his results he was quite a poor qualifier which I think hurt him quite a lot but given the fact he's in his first year he's still getting up to speed how the bike feels he's not been the fastest over that one lap pace but he has gained and gained and gained in the sprint and the Sunday Grand Prix to the point that most weekends he was the rider who had gained the most places. And that's really, really impressive. So I think it is a well-deserved 7.5 out of 10. I'm really looking forward to that pairing next year of Augusto Fernandez and Pedro Acosta. I just think it could be, it has the potential, I suppose, to be a bit spicy. There's always going to be a good little bit of rivalry between the younger riders, the newer to MotoGP riders, I think. And so I'm just looking forward to that gas-gas rivalry. I'm not too sure who I would put on top at this stage. I think Augusto Fernandez is going to outperform Acosta by maybe five, ten points at the end of the season. I think it's going to be quite a close battle. It's one I'm definitely really looking forward to seeing. Moving on to poor, luckless Miguel Oliveira. I've gone with a 4 out of 10. It could be argued that a large part of Ollie's season could be written off to just bad luck, and those shouldn't be factored into my scores. He frequently got nerfed by other riders, and he was forced to sit out multiple races. But we also need to acknowledge the fact that Miguel found himself in these incidents purely because he qualified poorly. We know Miguel's fast. We know he has skill and talent to win races. Yes, he was getting used to a new setup and a new bike, all of those factors, but I just expected a lot more from Miguel this year. Maybe that's why I've been so harsh on him. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I can't justify anything more than a four out of 10. Another rider I gave 4 out of 10 is Anaya Bassanini. While the results from him were a lot better than the results from Miguel Oliveira, he did make multiple mistakes. That first mistake that, you know, actually it wasn't his mistake, was it? The first thing that happened was Luca Marini hit him and that broke his shoulder blade and cost crucial time for Anaya. But once he came back, he himself made the mistakes. We saw him take out six Ducati riders. We saw numerous and numerous errors and inconsistent riding that really disappointed me for someone I thought was going to be fighting for the championship. Anyway, four out of ten. He did still win a race, so maybe I am being a little bit harsh. But there's not really anything else I'm willing to give him credit for, I suppose. Moving on, though, to Marc Marquez. Although outshined by his Honda counterpart, Alex Rins, i got to give a nod to Marc Marquez. He put that Honda in positions that it shouldn't have been in multiple times. He crashed and he crashed and he crashed while trying to give Honda the best results possible. He picked up some podiums. Still a tough season, and, yeah. I My heart broke watching... Honda's final rides with Marc Marquez where you can see his emotion. 
they're hard watches, but I think they're worth watching it if you are a Mark Marquez fan, even if you're not, to be fair, because it does show that he wanted to stay with Honda and he wanted this, you know, the Honda and Marquez relationship to truly work. Another rider jumping ship to a different manufacturer next year is Franco Morbidelli, five out of 10. While we do seem to be seeing the old Franco back before he injured his legs, his season was marred by results that didn't quite measure up to that of his teammate. Morbidelli did show this season that he can still achieve good results. And I think maybe next season we could see some surprising, surprising positions and some surprising results from him. At least I hope that's the case because I do think he still deserves to be on this grid. And now he has sort of recovered from his injury, it will be really interesting to see what Franco can do. Fabio Di Antonio, Still really struggling with that name. But alas, I'm giving him an 8 out of 10. Now, the reason I'm doing this is multiple. Yes, the start of his season was poorly performed. However, this isn't entirely his fault. This was mainly due to the fact that his bike was using the settings that all the other Ducati riders were using. So this was considered the correct settings for Ducati. His team manager, crew chief, that's the one, crew chief, convinced him to change some settings, and as soon as he did, Digian Antonio was on pace. He was getting his podiums, he won the race, and he's just also like this really wholesome character. And it's been so nice throughout the second half of the season when he's been picking up these results to see people become Fabio Digian Antonio fans, or Digia as I like to call him, because it is a mouthful, his surname. But it's been really wholesome seeing people recognise how good he is and why he deserves to be on this grid. Moving over to our Australian, Jack Miller. 4 out of 10. I'm quite disappointed by this. His season did start off strong with some great results that saw him up there battling with the Ducatis. It then tapered off in the middle of the year and then just never sort of came back to life. It could actually be summarised when he was leading the final race of the season and then crashed out. That's pretty much all my feelings with this year for Jack Miller summed up into a single moment. On to Fabio Quattararo and the person who was P10 in the World Championship standings. I've given him a 6 out of 10. He was struggling from the opening race, and we knew this season from them would be tough for the Frenchman. We saw the Ducatis blitz past the Yamaha on the straight on multiple occasions, and despite this, Quadraro consistently pushed the limits of the bike to secure some good places, and even made it onto the podium. I do have to imagine that that isn't much comfort for Quadraro, who wants to be up there battling at the front, but it just is what it is. Hopefully Yamaha can bring a more competitive challenge and more competitive bike next season. Judging by what we've seen in testing though, I'm not gonna be holding my breath for that. I'm just gonna take a really short break and we will get back to the top 10 in just a moment. So 
Sorry, I just desperately had to have a break there because my dog's sitting on my lap, as he always is when I'm recording these, and he cut off circulation to one of my legs, and it was at the point where I knew if I didn't move, it was that not just numb and not just pins and needles tingly, it was so numb it was painful, but so I just had to have a moment. But on to the person P9 in the championship, Alex Marquez. I've gone with a 7 out of 10. He adapted well to the Ducati and he picked up strong results. It would be quite easy to overlook Alex and maybe this is my Marquez fangirl, you know, bias coming into fray here. He was picking up consistent results right up until he got a few injuries mid-season. Let's not forget, he then hopped back on the bike and rode practically with four broken ribs. I've broken ribs. It is excruciating. Even breathing hurts. And he was riding around with that and then he crashes. And I cannot imagine the pain that you must go through if you've got broken ribs and your airbag goes off. My gosh. I've given him a 7 out of 10 because it was pretty darn impressive. Luca Marini, I've gone with a 6 out of 10. Not the worst Ducati rider. I'm still disappointed. I feel as though, given Marini's experience, he was consistently outperformed by his teammate and other Ducati riders. It could just be that this package isn't the package for him. And it could be that next season, when he hops on that Honda, we see him as clearly a development rider and someone who's good at developing a bike, rather than being someone who can get the absolute maximum out of riding a bike, like someone like his teammate Marco Bezzecchi seemed to have been able to do this year. I do want to acknowledge that he did pick up some pole positions and some really good results, but alas, I can't muster more than a six. Who did get more than a six is Maverick Vinales. While I was hoping for better results and prior to what will be next season, I had Mav down for being the first rider to pick up three wins with three manufacturers. Now, I said, like I said earlier in the episode, I think it's going to be Alex Rins. Vinales still did perform strongly throughout the season, although he does remain the king of testing and he does still, it seems, struggle with the starts. He managed to frequently throughout the year be one of the top performing Aprilia riders. Aprilia as always, was held back this year with technical difficulties. One of the most frustrating ones for me, I can't remember what race it was actually. Maverick was running maybe P5, P6. You know, quite a strong result when you've got so many Ducatis on the grid. And then you just see his chain break on the last lap. These sort of little inconsistencies really, really frustrate me with Aprilia at the moment. I'm hoping that once they do have those four bikes, factory bikes on the grid, we'll be able to see less of this as they become a bigger outfit and less of a boutique manufacturer, I suppose. Right ahead of Vinales in the standings was his teammate Alicia Spargo. I'm giving him a 6.5. Admittedly, I probably would have done a 7, but I am penalising Alicia due to that on-track incident with Franco Morbidelli. I know I've like discussed it before. 
and adrenaline's running high and it's all of that stuff's going on but you still don't hit another rider on track while you're on the bike. That aside, Alish had a strong season and we did see some really wholesome moments. We saw him pick up some wins. One of my favourite moments of the season is probably when his kids joined him on the top step of the podium. I loved that wholesome stuff. It's truly, truly great and truly what makes me love this sport and that sort of family vibe is why I'm such a big fan of Aprilia. In fact, I'm trying to think, who would be my favourite manufacturer? I think for the vibes it's got to be Aprilia, who I actually think is going to win a championship other than Ducati, it's got to be KTM. So Aprilia and KTM I think are probably my favourite manufacturers. That was a side tangent, wasn't it? On to the person P5 in the world championship standings and he's p5 with 225 points considering how many points we ended this championship with that's quite a big gap to the top but we still have to give joanne zarko credit i i've gone with a 6.5 and this is probably one i thought about a lot more than all the others it does seem harsh to me still. It does seem quite harsh. We saw Zarko pick up his first win and we saw the backflip. And this really could be a harsh rating for someone who finished fifth in the world championship. But I'd counter that with the fact that Zarko has the experience and the bike to boot. He had the potential to be fighting for the championship, but I am still overjoyed that he picked up some really strong results. And that win, honestly, Zarko getting that win made this entire season worth it. I can't imagine how good it would feel. There's that clip online, the French commentary when Zarko's leading and it's a couple of corners to go. Highly, highly recommend you watch it. I don't understand a word of French, but you can just hear the excitement in those commentators' voices. Moving on to the person P4 in the championship. So with 293 points, we had KTM's Brad Binder. I've given him an 8 out of 10. He's my the highest scoring non-Ducati rider, and he had a strong season from the very first sprint. Binder showed consistency throughout the year that was only hampered by some last lap incidents, some last lap track limits. What was it? three of them I think throughout the year where he went onto the green on the last lap. Silly, silly mistakes. At the start of the season he was held back quite a bit by poor qualifying but throughout the season he really picked up his performance in the spot and so I've taken that into account. The fact he performed so strongly, consistently and the fact that yeah He's a KTM up there battling with the Ducatis more often than not. That's why he's got an 8 out of 10. Moving on to my only 10 out of 10 this season, Marco Bezzecchi. What an incredible performance by Marco Bezzecchi. He's riding a year-old bike for one. He scored good result after good result as another. And he was in this championship battle 
right up to the closing stages of the championship. I'm so impressed by Marco Bezzecchi. I just think it's truly incredible what he did this year. I knew he was going to come into it being fast because we've seen the potential talent there. But this season just blew me away with Bezzecchi. I do have to wonder, though, if they've made the right decision by keeping Marco at VR46. Earlier in the year, when before Franco Morbidelli signed with Pramac, there was lots of talk about Marco Bezzecchi going to Pramac. Really, I do think that would have been the smarter choice. I do have to wonder, and Lily and I in the Discord group, we've been chatting about this quite a bit, whether Bezzecchi is staying at VR46 because Bezzecchi and Valentino Rossi want him on a factory Yamaha in 2025, given the fact that it all signs seem to be pointing to VR46 becoming, or going back, to satellite Yamaha. And so then I look at it and I'm like, wow, Rossi has done well if this happens, because not only would Bezeki then be on a factory ride, Valentino Rossi would have three of his boys, Marco Bezeki on a factory Yamaha, Pecco Bagnaia on a factory Ducati, and Luca Marini on a factory Honda. That would be incredible. And my gosh, it just shows how much Valentino Rossi continues to give to this sport. And I'm not a Valentino Rossi fangirl. Anyone that knows me knows I'm not. Mainly because I'm such a big Marc Marquez fan. But still, we cannot ignore that this reality would be absolutely incredible. Moving on though to P2 in the championship, the person I wanted to win the championship with 428 points, it was Jorge Martin. I've given him an 8 out of 10. This season, I think he made huge strides forward in terms of his maturity, consistency, and the courage that he showed on and off track. He came into the season after being passed over for a factory ride. It would have been so easy for Martin to just lose the plot, lose what very little, if we are being honest, consistency that he had coming into this year, and just lose his results and just fade into non-existence, especially in MotoGP and with the grid being so competitive as it is. It would have been so easy for that to happen, but the fact that he kept his cool, he kept pushing and pushing and working on himself and working on the package and that whole team at Pramac being right behind him, left him fighting for the championship right up to the last race. Admittedly, in the last race, he did not keep his cool, but there really was a championship on the line. Either way, it's still going to have to be an 8 out of 10 for me. Speaking of 8 out of 10s, I've gone and given our world champion an 8 out of 10 as well. Peko Bagnaia, he won the championship, 467 points, but I'm still giving him an 8 out of 10. Why? Because he still continued to make mistakes this year. It seemed like the most dangerous moments for Bagnaia was when he'd overtaken someone for the lead, and then he'd crash out of the lead. The biggest one of this was that crash that did see his legs run over. 
he still crashed out of that lead. There was no one else involved in that crash. And seeing these inconsistencies did mark me, make me mark him down a bit. Admittedly, at the end of the year, he showed none of these inconsistencies. He showed his pure reliability and tapped into that Lorenzo-esque era that I know he has. Because, yeah, he's just like that. He's got that vibe about him that when he's truly in the zone, when he's not pushing too hard for the front, he'll put his head down and he'll get consistent results time and time again. So that's it for my 2023 MotoGP Riders Ratings. Do you agree with me? Do you think I've been far too harsh on some of the riders? I have to admit even I think I've been harsh on some of the riders, but don't hesitate to let me know. As always, like and subscribe. I will be back next week and we'll talk then.